Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mailin' It, the official podcast of the United States Postal Service. I'm Dale Parsan. And I'm Carla Kirby. In this episode, we're going to talk with Adrian Marshall about how the Postal Service handles election mail. Adrian is the Postal Service's Executive Director for Election and Government Mail Services. Adrian, welcome to Mailin' It. Thank you. Adrian, let's start by describing your role at the Postal Service. Okay, great. I joined the Postal Service in 1998 as a mail handler. I now head up the Election and Government Mail Services Office. Um, our office is responsible for the strategy, policy, and execution of products and services in support of election and government mail. The Postal Service recently formalized your office. Can you tell me a little bit about how it works? Well, Carla, the main takeaway from 2020 and the large increase in voting by mail uh, in that year, uh, we recognized the need to um, form a permanent structure, which allows us to formalize and centralize activities for election mail. At USPS headquarters, we have four election and government mail specialists that oversee election mail across the country. We also have four customer relations area directors who oversee 50 managers of customer relations and their teams. Those managers and customer relation directors provide education and outreach for our election officials. Okay, that sounds like a lot. I I think the best place to start our conversation about election mail is to explain to our audience exactly what that is and what it isn't. Okay, yeah, you're right, Dale. It is a lot. (laughs) So election mail is any item mailed to or from authorized election officials that enables citizens to participate in the voting process. So think about ballots and voter registration cards, ballot applications, and polling place notifications. So election mail does not include the things that people get in the mail from political campaigns. That's right, Carla. It, no political mail is, um, it's a separate category of mail. It's, it's different from election mail. Um, political mail, think about mailings for a campaign, from a campaign, from a registered political candidate or a campaign committee or committee of a political party. Um, it can also be any other material by a political action committee. Some people refer to that as PACs or an organization engaging in issues of advocacy or voter mobilization. It may be sent um, for any public election. Um, partisan or nonpartisan, so for for which there's a ballot. Okay, th- thanks for clearing that up. I think it's also important for us to clarify something else before we get too far. What is the Postal Service's official role in the election process? Our role, we primarily responsible, we're responsible for processing, transporting, and delivering the nation's election mail. We don't encourage um, or discourage people to vote by mail. We really don't have anything to do with um, making election laws or setting deadlines. And this is something the Postal Service has been doing for a long time, right? That's right. Um, Voting by mail has been around since the Civil War. Um, Absentee ballots were offered to both Union and Confederate soldiers so they could vote from their battlefield units and have them counted back at home. Um, It was created to help ensure all U.S. voters can participate in elections. Speaking of which, primary season is winding down and general elections are fast approaching. I'm curious, do a lot of people use mail-in voting for primaries? Well, you know, good question, Dale. This year, um, there have been more than 60 primaries, runoff, and special elections since March. Uh, Mail-in voting has been available for all of them. 
There's been a nearly 200% increase in mail-in ballots this year compared to um, the 2018 midterms. Wow, that is a very large increase. What kind of challenges does that create for the Postal Service, if any? Well, despite that number, it's a very small percentage of the number of the total mail volume we handle. And we have processes and procedures for election season. Um, It's something we deal with every year. So when we need to allocate more resources for processing and delivering the mail, we do that. Um, Mail delivery for this year's primaries has gone well. 99.5% of ballots that voters mailed reached their election officials within three days. Fantastic, Adrian. How does this year's election ballot volume compare to the past few years? In 2021, we delivered more than 63 million ballots. In 2020, of course, um, a lot more people voted by mail due to the pandemic. We delivered at least 135 million ballots to and from voters in the general election. Nearly 98% of ballots from voters to election officials were delivered within three days. We had a 2.1-day average to deliver ballots from the election official to the voter, and then a 1.6-day average to deliver completed ballots from the voter to the election officials. In 2020, you know, we have proved that we have the capacity to handle high vote-by-mail turnout. Okay, so I'm hearing a lot of numbers, a lot of percentages. Let's put it in a frame of reference. Um, is that good, right? Is How do we measure that 98% against, you know, doing a good job and, and delivering that mail on time? That's actually fabulous. We have a three- to five-day standard, so that's within um, – it's faster. Fabulous is right. <laughs> Adrian, you noted that nearly 99% of our election mail is delivered within three days. What extra steps do we take with the election mail? Well, thank you, Carla, for asking. So this year, between October 24th and November 29th, local postal management is authorized and encouraged to use extraordinary measures to accelerate the delivery of ballots. We implement and deploy a variety of extraordinary measures to deliver the nation's ballots uh, in November. Um, Our practices extend beyond our normal operating procedures to accelerate the delivery of ballots. Um, Consistent with past elections, it helps us to ensure that ballots mailed on or before Election Day by election officials and voters are delivered on time whenever possible. These measures include, but are not limited to, bypassing a portion of the postal processing network to deliver ballots locally, a practice known as local turnaround. We also make additional deliveries to election officials, uh, making special trips to ensure that ballots arrive on time to be counted and expanded processing hours. Well, that sounds like we've been moving a lot of election mail. So how does that work for U.S. military and American citizens who don't live in the States? Well, Carla, we partner with the State Department, the Federal Voting Assistance Program, and the Military Postal Service Agency to deliver ballots for members of the military, our diplomatic personnel, their families, and overseas American citizens. Um, UACAVA, the Uniform and Overseas Citizens Voting Act, provides rules and guidance for these voters. There's a lot more information about that on the Federal Voting Assistance Program website at FVAP. That's F as in Frank, V as in Victor, A as in Apple, P as in Paul, .gov. So let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about something that is very important to anybody who's voting by mail, and that's ballot security. How does the Postal Service ensure security when it comes to voting by mail? 
Well, Dale, we work closely with the U.S. Postal Inspection Service and the U.S. Postal Service Office of Inspector General. Postal inspectors are the law enforcement experts on mail security, um, one of the most trusted um, agencies that we have. They help election officials with concerns about election mail security. They work with officials to identify and address security risk involving the mail. They also work with state and local federal authorities to investigate threats to election officials. And they respond to any reported criminal incidents involving election mail, including mail theft, mail fraud, and incidents involving threatening, suspicious, or dangerous mail. Adrian, that, that's that's great to hear. Uh, Chief Barksdale has actually been a previous guest. We've had a, a few representatives from his, uh, his organization participate in a couple podcasts. It's great to know that the Inspection Service and the OIG are, are working every day to ensure that all mail is secure at all times. Yes, they're great partners with us. Adrian, previously in the podcast, you had mentioned that the Postal Service isn't involved in actually setting any of the laws. We're in the business of delivering mail. Um, how does the Postal Service work with election officials for primaries and general elections, though? I'm sure there's a lot of collaboration. Yes, Dale. So the team of managers of customer relations who I spoke about earlier, who serve as the points of contact for election officials, they meet with election officials. They make recommendations to the election officials. Um, they can help them if they want ballot envelope redesign. They also make sure that ballot envelopes are machinable, that they can be sorted by our automated processing systems. Okay, so what should voters in the U.S. do if they need or want to vote by mail? Well, first, they should know their state's requirements. You can find guidance for your individual states at usa.gov forward slash election hyphen office. Uh, some jurisdictions automatically mail ballots to all of their eligible voters. In jurisdictions where you have to request a mail-in ballot in order to receive one, we recommend requesting your ballot as early as your jurisdiction allows. Also, our general recommendation is that as a common sense measure, you mail your completed ballot before election day and at least one week prior to your state's deadlines. Some states may recommend allowing even more time uh, for mailing completed ballots. Another good source of information if the voter needs to know what their state requirements are is to visit hashtag TrustedInfo2022 website. A lot of information there. A lot of great information today. Do you have any parting thoughts for our listeners? Yeah, Carla, I really want to reiterate um, that we're a service provider, and if a voter eligible to use mail-in voting chooses to use the mail to vote, we want them to know that it's safe and secure. If you plan to vote by mail, you should plan ahead, give yourself enough time to receive, and then complete and return your ballots by your state's deadlines. Thanks, Adrian, for joining us today for this episode. We've learned a lot of great information. Thanks, Carla, and thanks, Dale. It was really good to be a part of this conversation today. Great. All right, everybody, it's time for Did You Know? This is a chance for us to share some interesting details about the Postal Service that most people probably don't know about. Carla, do you mind if I get things started today? Let's get going. All righty. So in the early to mid-20th century, this was an exciting time for innovation in mail transportation. So absolutely. The Postal Service tried out gas-powered scooters, small three-wheeled vehicles called mailsters, and even that system of pneumatic tubes. Yeah, that's one that we covered in a previous Did You Know? And all that's true, but I'm thinking of mail transportation over really long distances. 
Well, maybe the most exciting advance in that area was the use of airplanes to carry mail. And the first few years after the post office department began service in 1918 were quite an adventure, and not always the good kind. That far back? I'm thinking of those rickety old biplanes. Yeah, I don't think I'd be too quick to volunteer to fly one of those. (laughs) Me neither. But the technology quickly improved, and by the 1930s, airplanes were serving an important role in carrying mail quickly across the continent. It was working so well, in fact, that some members of Congress started to wonder how they could bring its benefits to all Americans, especially the ones in small communities that weren't easily accessible by road and didn't have airfields. That definitely sounds like a good idea. Right? So Jennings Randolph, a representative from West Virginia, endorsed an airmail pickup method called skyhooking, which had been developed by Dr. Lytle Adams, an inventor in Pennsylvania. The pickup process involved loading mail into a big rubber canister and then hanging it from a wire between a pair of 30-foot-tall posts set 60 feet apart. Pilots would then swoop down and snatch up the container using a hook on a long cable lowered from the back of the airplane. Very cool, but did it work? Very well, actually. The method entered service in May of 1939, with the first route flown between Pittsburgh and Huntington, West Virginia. The routes were flown by All-American Aviation, which later became Allegheny Airlines and eventually U.S. Airways. And in the first year, they flew more than 438,000 miles, making more than 23,000 pickups, all without a single casualty. That is pretty incredible. But how long did we do this? Not very long. (laughs) All Americans stopped at Skyhook operations to focus entirely on passenger service in 1949. And it seemed that no other air carrier was interested in picking up the routes. But prior to that, the line was serving more than 100 locations and hooking some 400,000 pieces of mail per month. I guess flying commercial passengers was just more profitable. That's probably the simplest answer. So, my fact for this episode focuses on the vehicle of choice for ace pilots while they're on the ground. Mm, Let me guess. Motorcycles? A little Top Gun reference? I am talking about motorcycles. Did you know that motorcycles played a pretty big role in mail delivery in the early 1900s? I think I've heard that before. This was in the days before the mail truck really came into its own, right? That's right. So the first use of the motorcycle to carry mail isn't exactly known. But the Postal Service's published guidelines for rural delivery service from March of 1907 authorized carriers to perform service on motorcycles. By 1916... Carriers were using bicycles and motorcycles, including early models from companies like Harley-Davidson on about 8,000 routes in rural areas. But department officials felt motorcycles were a bit too dangerous, imagine that, and not well suited to carry the parcel post, even though many operators were using sidecars to handle the extra volume. So they banned them? Well, Postmaster General Albert S. Burleson tried to issuing an order in 1915 that by the following January, they'd no longer be permitted. But there must have been a strong outcry because he revisited his decision less than three months later to allow the motorcycles to remain in use, as long as they met certain specifications. Did they use them in the inner cities too? They absolutely did. In 1920, the post office department was using more than 700 motorcycles to move mail in cities, 
all received from the War Department after World War I. Besides being used in mail collection and delivery, motorcycles were also used by armed guards to tail early mail trucks and protect them from robbery. Interesting. When did they stop using the motorcycle? There's no actual exact date on that, but the final annual report of the Postmaster General that mentions them was in 1928. It seems that automobiles and trucks were just more practical in the end. Yeah, but a lot less cool. Agreed. That does it for this episode of Did You Know? Carla, what a great episode on election mail. Uh, I really think that the audience and and even ourselves, we learned a lot uh, from Adrian today in regards to the topic. Uh, For me, one of the biggest takeaways, I think, uh, silly enough, was the difference between election mail and political mail. I honestly thought that it was all just kind of created the same, but but this was really enlightening. How about yourself? For me, it was the fact that we moved 135 million ballots. Yeah, and that it's even just still uh, a small percentage of the mail that we actually move. Absolutely. But that increased (laughs) volume and to accommodate, of course, our service members and those individuals that are living overseas. Absolutely. Well, that wraps up this episode of Mailing It. Don't forget to subscribe to Mailing It wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss the next episode. And follow along on Instagram at U.S. Postal Service, Twitter at USPS, and on Facebook. Thank you.